Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon to you, Crypt Nation. How are you guys doing? I don't know about you, but I'm doing great. It's really great to have you back here in the studio for another episode of Crypto 101. Yes, it feels good to be back. Um, you know, I was out of town for a little while, but you know, I'm here and I'm ready to rock and roll. Uh, so today, I-, I couldn't be more thrilled to have on Michael Rosenblatt. Um, Hold on, the Michael Rosenblatt? Bum, bum, bum. The one and only, of course. <laughs> Fantastic. Michael Rosenblatt is an amazing person who's been in this space for over six years. I love reading the, all the different articles he writes. He currently works for BRD. Aren't they lucky to have him? They are very lucky to have him. He used to work as a software integrations engineer for Wall Street and different software that uh, professional traders work with. So we're going to get his insights today. And uh, I can't wait to bring him on. You know, I before we before we Michael just give us one sec before we uh, get to you. I just want to laud your work or praise your work because I mean I feel like every time I read it, I learn a little bit something new, and it, it's kind of funny because you have such an uncanny knack. I mean, if you weren't working for BRD, I would hire you to help us write content because you ha- you could explain things so well in such a crypto one on one fashion. It's just nuts. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're going <laughs> to shut up and let the expert speak. All right, Michael, uh, welcome to the show. We couldn't be more thrilled to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, we're going to get into what BRD is, what they do, and real quick, in, in about 30 seconds or so, you know, what do you do at BRD? Um, what's your role? Sure. So at BRD, I'm our content manager, pretty much handle lots of our communication with press. I write our deeper industry perspective pieces. And uh, most importantly, I get to spread the good gospel and chat with you guys across media talking about crypto. Well, it sounds like you are the perfect person to be representing BRD on the show um, because you could break down these concepts in such a 101 fashion. You know, that's what you do for a living, breaking down big concepts into a digestible thing for the mainstream. Yeah. Um, yeah, I joined BRD about four months ago. so And I've been in the crypto space for about six years. So... It's the latest. It's the latest of my endeavors, but uh, I've been writing for a while about crypto. Yeah, tell us about that journey of why you chose to get involved in crypto. Yeah, so my introduction to crypto was pretty fortunate um, in the sense that I had a good friend of mine, a longtime friend from high school, who was quite technical, and he just hit me up one day. We were hanging out. He said, "Hey, have you heard of Bitcoin?" I said, "No." This was probably around six years ago, and on the spot. He takes me into uh, a separate room that he had in his house, and he had mining rigs going. And the moment that I saw those mining rigs, I didn't even need to know what they did, but my inner geek sprung out. Um, That's awesome. I'm somewhat of a technical person, kind of a self-taught programmer. I understand how it works. So he started explaining to me what Bitcoin was. It was this decentralized system. And I was able to, I had the luxury of basically shooting questions off to him for three to four hours straight. Um, so I was hooked pretty quickly just because I found it intellectually interesting. There was no sort of political or financial motive. I gave him a couple hundred bucks cash. He set me up with a wallet, sent me crypto right there and then. And then I started uh, started trading that same day. So <laughs> it all happened within 24 hours. And ever since then, just because it intellectually uh, motivates me, I've just gone deeper and deeper and deeper down the rab- rabbit hole. Very cool. So... Someone who's been around for six years in this space, you could go anywhere, yet you chose to wind up at BRD. What kind of problems are you trying to solve in the world that you feel like BRD is you know, really going to help with? 
Yeah, so I wanted to join a wallet company in particular. And when deciding what to join, it was really between do I join a custodial wallet like Coinbase or do I join a non-custodial wallet like BRD? I went with BRD because I think that is the long-term play here. You know, actually, our chief strategy officer, Aaron Lasher, draws a great analogy that I always like. And it's really to Google about how Google is the doorway to the web. I think that these non-custodial wallets, which are frictionless and require no user signup, um, is truly the you know portal that users can use to enter this open, decentralized system that we're building. Very cool. So do you think crypto and blockchain are really necessary to solve so many of the world's problems like a lot of people claim it can? <laughs> I think uh, I think it depends. It's not a yes or no question. Um, I think that if you believe that there should be an electronic cash system as the w- internet evolves, then yes, blockchain is certainly necessary because you need that decentralized uh, validation network. Um, but if you're going to look at 95% of the applications built on Ethereum and EOS and all these other dApps, um, the answer is probably no. I think that the use case is a bit slimmer than some people think. Um, I think that centralized systems work great for what they do. And in many cases, they provide better user experiences. And there's total validity to that. Um, but as someone who's a prominent you know, uh, evangelist of the currency use case, I think that blockchain is necessary for that. Can you talk about one of the recent articles you've written? Uh, what did it cover? And what was the reason that you wrote it? Sure, yeah. Um, Let's see. Is there one in particular or you want me to just pick one? No, anything. Let's see. Um, well, we are exploring the Libra e- ecosystem more. Ah. So I did write a piece. Yeah. So I wrote a piece on Libra and it wasn't a piece to bash Libra. It wasn't a piece to promote Libra. I tried to keep it really balanced and it was really well received. So, you know, if we're going to go down the Libra rabbit hole. I think that... Um, Ultimately, it's good for crypto. I think that it's going to introduce people to the concept of electronic cash. And I think that it's the antithesis, you know, it's the total opposite of what crypto really is, which will in turn educate people to learn about Bitcoin. So then what would you really say are the defining factors of a cryptocurrency? You say it's being marketed kind of as a cryptocurrency, but it's not. So what is the delineation that you're trying to draw here? So I think the big thing at a technical level is that what defines crypto is that anyone can choose to be a sort of validating node, right? So I think that um, decentralization and centralization is not a binary concept. I think that some things are more centralized than others and some are de- more decentralized. So, you know, Libra is this federated system of, uh, I guess, around 26 major corporations that need to invest at least $10 million to run a node. And it's now, supposed to be eventually 100, I believe. Is that correct? I believe so, yeah. Um, Now, you can argue that anything that has more than three or four nodes is decentralized. And that's something that I can argue for. But I think that if you need to qualify through a central party to be a node, then it takes away the whole concept of uh, an open decentralized system. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So they're using blockchain technology. They're overusing the word decentralized, in my opinion, which definitely gets under my hairs. Um, but I think that with all the bashing and all the press that it's going to bring, you know, I think crypto should leverage it to its benefit. Yeah, it's a very good point that you bring up. And we have this huge DeFi movement, which actually is decentralizing finance and banking and things like that. 
But when you have to spend $10 million to be a validator node, you're not creating a decentralized network. You're essentially just creating a brand new central banking network with your corporate friends and buddies and getting rid of the old system. And that's why there's so much conflict within Congress about it because they've essentially been rendered obsolete and they don't know what to do. Yeah, it's almost like there's this new oligopoly that's forming between all these uh, big companies. So, you know, why don't you just keep riffing on on Libra right now? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, building on what you're saying on this sort of monopoly, I mean, the one thing that I'm not a huge fan of is that they want to be your source of communication. They want to be your source for shopping, advertising, and now they want to be your bank. So that's something to consider <laughs> just, you know, as, as you engage with these platforms. Um, but so there's definitely this big misunderstanding where, you know, certain people uh, who are maybe newer to the space think, you know, crypto is crypto is crypto, right? But that's clearly not the case. So why don't we highlight some of the points of differentiation between Bitcoin and Libra? Sure. Yeah. So it's really in that, you know, not anyone can set up their own node. Um, you definitely are going to have to go through KYC, anti-money laundering procedures that they have. And it's a completely, you know, tracked centralized system. Um, hopefully, there's ways to view the blockchain data by connecting to a validator node, um, which you can do right now on testnet. But in production, they're saying that will happen, but it's not 100% certain. Yeah. And I also think about, you know, in this context, like financial privacy, right? It, it's a huge part of owning Bitcoin. It's all about taking back control over your digital footprint. I mean, especially when it comes to transactions. But in this new Libra ecosystem, do you think that they will preserve any sort of financial privacy? At least the companies will know pretty much everything about you. Yeah. Um, everyone else, is, it might hopefully it'll be similar to a Bitcoin network or more private because they have controls to make things more private. But I think that ultimately Libra, like I say, will be good. I think that there's upsides to them being centralized, right? They're going to have, they're claiming to have a thousand transaction per second throughput. So there's upsides, but it's just not as frictionless as a decentralized product that you can just download and use. Can you define the relationship between privacy and fungibility? Um, and, and you should definitely define the term fungibility for those of us who haven't heard the term before. And also speak about it in context of all these different chain analysis companies that you know load the blockchain and parse through it to try and link different wallets together and identify essentially who these people are using Bitcoin. What are the implications there? Mm, sure. So uh, fungibility is essentially, you know, being able to freely send money to places and it's interchangeable. So, you know, one ounce of gold here uh, in the United States is an ounce of gold in England, right? So gold is fungible. It doesn't change its value wherever you send it and it's interchangeable. So I don't care what gold I have, it has the same value. I don't need this specific bar of gold or that specific bar of gold. And you should be able to freely send it everywhere. So if a bank stops you from sending money to me, you know, that's not a very fungible asset in terms of the way that it's free flowing. So the connection between privacy and fungibility is that is, you know, let's look at Bitcoin, for example, and drawn to what you were talking about with chain analysis. So these chain analysis companies are an analyzing and watching the blockchain. And they're gathering metadata. They're watching which nodes are sending large transactions, perhaps. And eventually, they can pin you down to your identity. And if they think that you're sending funds that are linked to illicit activity, they can actually reach out to wallets. You know, They can reach out to Coinbase, to BRD, to government agencies and say, blacklist this transaction. Um, once they start blacklisting transactions and 
it, it gets rid of privacy and it gets rid of the openness of Bitcoin, it really ruins Bitcoin. So there's certainly an irony between the goal of chain analysis companies, because if they really win, uh, win in the sense of being able not only to track transactions, but actually reach out to companies and enforce the stopping of sending of certain transactions, then Bitcoin is pretty much shot. Uh, and so is their business. So there's sort of this there's sort of this mouse and cat game going on between the Bitcoin core developers who are always working at on privacy at the protocol level and the chain analysis companies learning what they're doing and trying to break past those barriers. Yeah, very well said. I know there's another company uh, called Elixir and they're trying to create a metadata free transaction blockchain right now as that next uh, you know, strategy in the game of cat and mouse, like you mentioned. And we're also uh, seeing a lot of Bitcoin ATMs pop up all over the place, but they require you to enter your, your ID to buy Bitcoin, which to me is completely absurd and absolutely against the whole principles of buying Bitcoin in the first place. I don't know if every brand of Bitcoin ATM requires that, but it's definitely worth a further investigation. Yeah, I think um, I've, I've used ATMs and I was lucky enough to have it be peer to peer. They didn't care who I was. Um, but yeah, no, if you had that experience, that's definitely a, uh, a warning sign. Would you say that you subscribe to the same line of thinking as Andreas Antonopoulos in that privacy should come first and then scalability should come second? Because, you know, like a lot of blockchains are coming out with these crazy high transaction per second numbers that they're touting. Um, but there's always trade-offs, right? So what would you say is more important to prioritize? I agree that that in terms of development and the focus, it's privacy first, then scalability. Um, the reason is because I think that people who aren't deeply involved in the scene and people who are creating these altcoins that are cr claiming these crazy transaction throughputs, they don't understand the lengths that these chain analysis companies go. I mean, they're using um, machine learning AI to even predict what a future transaction output might look like. And if it's wrong, they can adjust their guesses. Things you know they go very deep. So essentially, like I said, if these chain analysis companies start tracking these other blockchains, which some of them are, and they start blacklisting transactions, people are going to be like, "Well, this isn't usable." <laughs> um, so privacy is the most important thing, and I think that it should be included in the base layer, right? So there's things like Schnorr signatures and these other privacy layers that uh, Bitcoin core team is looking at. And I think that, you know, it's worth noting that the Bitcoin core developers are looking at other projects like Monero and their Ring CT protocol. Uh, they're looking at Zcash and the Zero Cash protocol. They once upon a time did look at the Zero Coin protocol, which is no longer in use, unfortunately. Um, and the reason they're not implementing them is because they're not scalable. So you have to be, the data transactions are just too large to scale. So you have to so the Bitcoin core devs are the most thoughtful team, in my opinion, when it comes to what they're implementing and adding to the Bitcoin code, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And thankful, thankful we're so thankful that they are. I mean, the, the whole world owes them a huge debt of gratitude for being such good custodians of Bitcoin core. Yeah. And then, and then on the scalability side of things, in my opinion, that's an easier thing to overcome. You know, you. I'm not saying I'm for it, but you could go, you know, the Bitcoin Cash route, increase block sizes, or you could. I like the layer two solutions. Add these Lightning networks, add other layer two solutions with different logics that will promote scalability. But it's much easier and much less dangerous 
to work on scalability, in my opinion, than on privacy. Um, so, I, so I totally see where Andreas is coming from, and I completely agree. Cool. Can you teach us something new about the world of finance from your point of view? Maybe something that you've run into a lot that you really want the rest of the world to know about, but when you just come across someone on the street, they may have never even thought of it or heard of it? Speaking to the people who have never worked in finance, I think that people don't understand um, the operations and the structure that exists like on Wall Street compared to the crypto world. And people need to gain that perspective on how immature maybe the crypto world is right now compared to Wall Street. <laughs> our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Um, before diving full time into crypto, I worked on Wall Street for a tech firm, pretty much consulting for hedge funds to implement uh, custom software. And when you learn about how trading works in the Wall Street, it's very different than here, right? I mean, even at the retail level. Dive into that. Yeah. So even at the retail level, um, right now you go on Binance.com and you trade directly on an exchange. You know, that does not happen in the real world, or at least in the stock market, you would go on E-Trade or Scott Trade and you would trade through a broker that's getting you the best prices. Um, at the institutional level, hedge funds are using executing brokers and prime brokerages to work these huge orders to get them the best prices they can throughout the day. Um, you know, these things don't happen in the crypto world. In the crypto world, the responsibility is completely on you to find the best prices you can, to custody your own funds, right? You don't have to custody, you don't have to hold your own stocks. All of that is done for you. Um, so I think in the financial world, uh, I think what people need to understand is how complicated and structured the traditional financial world is right now. And crypto has a lot of room to grow to to meet those standards and to really get to an institutional level of investing. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that I just uh, met with another company recently called Voyager and they're uh, touting their services as a crypto um, brokerage service. And you know, there are a lot of other companies like that that are starting to crop up. So just to your point that, you know, the crypto market is so small, it's only a $250 billion market cap right now, but the infrastructure like that core infrastructure is literally still being built right now. It just screams that there's so much potential and so much upside if the things that are holding together the traditional systems haven't even been built yet. I mean, we say it all the time, but we can't say it enough that this is really, truly the beginning of a new financial system. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, it's not this crazy feat, right? There's other things, there's things that could be done to integrate with this traditional system. Um, for example, in Wall Street, a lot of the um, trading that occurs, so when you trade from if you were in a hedge fund and you were using a piece of software to trade, when you send an order out, 
you're not sending it to the exchange. You're sending an order to a broker to send to buy for you or sell for you. That when you send that order out, it's called it's going over a fixed line, which stands for uh, financial information exchange, and it's a standard protocol, free to use, really easy. That's used in the back end of virtually all of finance. Some crypto exchanges like Coinbase does offer fixed connectivity. Uh, but the big picture I'm getting at is that there could be firms and companies out there that want to, and exchanges in particular is who I'm speaking to, that should reach out to these brokers and reach out to these prime brokerages and just quickly integrate their fix hub with their fix hub so that now if traders come to the exchange or big guys come to them, they can just send fix orders directly from their software they're using now. Um, that's a bit techy, but what I'm getting at is that there's a lot of open protocols that finance is using that crypto can simply integrate on top of. <laughs> Very sick. All right. So now I think is a good time to turn to the BRD app and specifically the BRD token. Sure. So first, you know, what is the BRD app and what does it mean to you and how is it different from the hundreds of other wallet providers that are out there? And then a quick follow-up question to that is that, you know, BRD ICO'd in 2017, there's a token involved with it. What is the function or what is the utility of the BRD token? Sure. So, so sort of like I said before, BRD to me is really meant to act as that, that, that open portal, that entry point into crypto, which requires no signup, no username, no password, and it's non-custodial. And it's not that easy nowadays to find purely non-custodial wallets at least as mobile apps, which is something that I particularly happen to like. So why is that? Um, you know what it is? It's it's a much tougher business to run. Um, so for example- KYC wise or- uh, No. So for example, well, no, I'm saying the decentralized business is harder to run. Um, and the reason being is because you can go download our app right now and you don't tell me your email, you don't tell me your username, you don't tell me your password. So in many ways, wallets are not a business. They're just a product because it's free free to use. There's no revenue coming to us. And there's a big marketing issue, right? Normally, companies will message you saying, hey, your account went up 500 bucks. Congratulations, right? If we have a trigger. I can't do that. Like I can't even communicate. We can't really even communicate directly with our users unless they opted in to give our email through some promotion or something else we're doing. But there's a big business and marketing headache with these at being a decentralized company where we have to basically say, hey, customer with this wallet ID, if you happen to see this tweet, reach out to us, right? <laughs> there's no way for us to reach out to them. So I think that's part of the reason why there's not many decentralized wallets because there's a big marketing headache, big business headache. And like I said, the wallet business in general is not a business, it's a product, which is why we offer other stuff in our application like trading, buying and selling, which is part with other partners that does require some minimal KYC. Very interesting. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, I know we've all been very curious about who won that one BTC, but when we did that promotion, <laughs> you know, you let us know like, hey, uh, we really have no way of telling either. So we just have to wait for them to step up and claim the prize. Yeah, exactly. That's a great example. You know, we just did a great, you know, one Bitcoin giveaway. We called it the golden ticket giveaway, inspired from uh, our favorite Willy Wonka. Yeah. And um, yeah, pretty much, you know, we don't know his name. We don't know his email address. We don't know anything about him. You know, we just have a way of sending a specific, a random wallet ID that we picked pretty much a uh, in-app message. And until he opens his app and sees that he won this golden ticket and he reaches out to us, 
there's no way to know. Interesting. So what's the timer expiration on that one? I mean, what if the guy never opens it? We're not totally sure, but I mean, we're going to give him some time. You know, he's hopefully a loyal user, but I mean, eventually, of course, if he really doesn't open in a long time, we're going to, you know, repick a winner. Cool. So what does the BRD token actually do? What's its utility? Is it inflationary, deflationary? You know, what is the purpose of it? Um, so I wouldn't say that it's inflationary or deflationary inherently. I would say that there's a fixed supply. Um, you're right. We did do an initial coin offering. Um, and it's purely a utility token. Um, so the main, the main uses for it is really a rewards program that we're working on right now and to unlock other features in our app that we're going to build in the future. So right now, if you're holding um, X amount of BRD, you can see it on our website. Basically, you get 25% off on all trading fees. Um, if you hold a little more BRD, you hit a tier two where you can actually phone call our support line, which is pretty interesting in this in this business. Interesting indeed. Um, yeah, and it goes and it goes all the way up to being able to have a phone call with our CEO personally. Wow. So yeah. I guess that really jumps in to answer our question, you know, why should someone keep you know your token in their savings account instead of cash? But it sounds like there's a lot of perks and bonuses that are actually pretty unique. Yeah, and, and the nuance there of you know that question of asking should it be in your savings account or in cash, um, you know, implies sort of an investment angle. And so I would say that uh, it's not really comparable to investing or saving cash. It's literally you're a fan of BRD, you want certain rewards, you can definitely get those rewards through our utility token. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about what is the roadmap for BRD. Um, you know, what kind of plans do you guys have for the future development of the application? And specifically, I'm super curious if you guys are going to be having Lightning mm -hmm. Network functionality built into the app. So we're certainly interested in the Lightning Network. Um, I've spoken internally with some colleagues, but you know, I don't think that's in our future roadmap. Only because the reality is that people are not screaming for the Lightning Network, and the Lightning Network has a cost. Uh, to us. So unless people really want that, you know, we're going to have to hold off for a bit. I was actually at a uh, sort of a, an executive briefing a couple months ago and I met Alex Bosworth, Bosworth who's the uh, lead engineer at Lightning Labs. And I was speaking to him about the possibility of, you know, every time someone installs the BRD app, wouldn't it be neat if a Lightning channel opened up? Um, and that's when I learned that there's a cost, uh, more cost than I thought to running a, opening a lightning channel for every user. Um, so it's something we're looking at. Um, but at a broad level, we're really just listening to our users. Um, so our primary focus is being that secure, you know, I'll say it, unhackable wallet. I mean, we are non-custodial. Your keys are in the firmware of the your mobile device. Um, anything else, though, trading, buying, selling, um, you know, if people want a news feed, if people want really anything else. We're, right now, we're just gathering data and working on a roadmap. Um, you know, I can't really say when certain things will come out or what we're working on because things right, are right. changing. But yeah, we're definitely growing. We're definitely growing outside of that just the wallet capability. So more or less, we're making BRD the one-stop shop for crypto. For sure. Absolutely. I mean, really, truly, we do love your guys' app. It is so easy to use. It makes so much sense. And you probably have some of the best graphic designers and UX, UI guys in the business, no doubt. So good on you guys for hiring best of breed. No, I appreciate that. I think that, um, you know, 
the branding that you're noting goes along with our mission. Um, you know, I wear a BRD shirt casually with my friends, you know, when I go to the bar, when I hang out with people, when I go to meetings. <laughs> yeah, it looks, I wear dope, my BRD, it looks like a skate brand. Yeah, I wear my BRD shirt and they're like, is that a snowboarding brand? Or, or you know, you what is that? send us a couple of those? And yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, so I think that's really in line with with mass adoption. You know, we're not trying to to be a barrier where you have to be a tech guru or you have to be a financial guy. So, so just because you've been around so much longer than most people we meet in the space, Michael, you know, what, what, why did BTC become so dominant when many of the other coins that were still around at that time, maybe there's a handful still left, but most of them just kind of fell by the wayside. Why did Bitcoin survive and the others didn't? So I think it comes down to the team, um, to be completely honest. Um, the team, as I mentioned before, is just extremely thoughtful about what they up, what they push. They're not going to add, um, you know, a year ago or two years ago or three years ago, they didn't add the zero coin protocol because they know that the data sizes are too big in transactions and it's not scalable. But a lot of other coins out there, 99% are here to make some money. And so if they can add some new protocol and market that, then so be it. But I think that Bitcoin at this point and Blockstream and Chain Code and these other um, groups that work on the code, they don't have the need for a quick buck. They have many investors. Um, if they're early Bitcoiners, then they've made a pretty penny for themselves. And they could really genuinely focus on making the best possible you know, electronic cash system that they can. Um, so that's really what I think. And I think that goes across anything even beyond Bitcoin. If you're investing in a company, the company might pivot. The company might, you know, people's desires might change. Customers' needs might change. But you're really investing in the team. And I think that um, they have an excellent team of really OG cypherpunks and cryptographers. And it's undeniable to any investor that that's where you're going to invest. That's a great answer. You know, one of our favorite questions here uh, at Crypto 101 that we like to ask our guests in closing is if this was the first podcast that somebody had just tuned into, it's the first time they ever listened to a crypto podcast, you know, what would be that one lasting impression or that one takeaway you want to leave them with? I would say to be patient and, and open-minded. So here's what I would say is to be patient. These things take time, right? The internet didn't boom until 15 to 20 years after it really was incepted. So I think if you're interested in this and you think, um, you know, it's interesting to add to your portfolio, Bitcoin and other cryptos, and then invest in it and be realistic about how deep you want to go. Do you really want to learn the ins, ins and outs of it? You know, go for it, but don't let it sway you too much. And if you don't want to learn the ins, ins and outs of it, that's totally fine. There's so many people who invest in the stock market that don't know how finance works. So all I'm saying is be patient. And you know, trust your investment. That's all. That's all I can say. Those are some trusty words of wisdom, Michael. Um, you know, <laughs> Pizza Mine and I always echo that same sentiment that this is a severely undervalued asset class um, when you take it into consideration that it could potentially disrupt the entire uh, global money supply, which is dozens of trillions of dollars. Absolutely, and I think I think it's there's a natural progression to that, right? You know, computers were first made to show information. Right. And then some people say there was Web 2.0 with social media where people are communicating now in real time. And I think that as people globally are on the internet and buying things on the internet, there should be that third layer of a, um, you know, a, a peer to peer transactional uh, layer. So 
So the progression is that we went from the Internet of Information to the Internet of Relationships and, you know, communication, right? Social networks. And then now we're entering the age of the Internet of Value and the Internet of Money. Exactly. Yep. Fantastic. Michael, thank you so much for coming on our show today. It was a real treasure to get a chance to speak with you and learn from you. If uh, our users want to reach out to you, what's the best place that they can find you? Um, I would say Twitter. So I'm at CryptyMike, C-R-Y-P-T-Y-M-I-K-E. Um, or you could always email me, Mike at BRD.com. Great. Thank you so much. I'm going to add you on Twitter right now. And Crusaders, do not forget to go on Twitter, follow BRDHQ. Um, they're always posting fun stuff. Uh, Michael, is that you behind the Twitter account, by the way? Uh, sometimes it's me and sometimes it's my colleagues. But uh, once, sometimes it's me, yeah. And yeah, give it a follow. That's where we post all of our product updates and you know amazing giveaways that we've been doing lately. Yeah, real quick, I was just going to say, I remember when you guys did the uh, the announcement of the giveaway, you guys got like a thousand retweets in two minutes or something, and you're, uh, it was pretty epic because the account got shut down. Oh, yeah, that was epic. And, you know, unfortunately that happened, but yeah, it really took off. I think we broke 2,000 retweets after that, which in the crypto world is great. <laughs> yeah, you guys got a lot of great visibility out of that one. Very successful campaign. All right, Crypt Nation, we're going to get out of here. You guys have a great rest of your day your morning, your afternoon, your night, wherever you are in the world, just remember you're in the right place. And if you haven't followed us on Twitter yet, go ahead and do that. That's at Crypto101Pod. Join our Facebook community. That's, you know, facebook.com slash groups slash 101 crypto. Um, that's where we're posting live updates. Uh, and yeah, Pizza Mind also, Pizza Mind and I also have a show that's playing every day on younow.com uh, at 5 p.m. Pacific. So you could go to younow.com slash crypto 101. Uh, and we're, we're there every day. It's a live interactive show. You guys could come ask us questions. Um, and this is a really fun one. We just talk for an hour uh, about new stuff. If you can't get enough of us, well, come tune into that. So everybody, we will see you soon. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.